Thank you. That song is so true. That song is so true for us. Is there anyone other than Jesus for you? Is there anyone other than Jesus? Oh, I know we have one another, and I know we have our interactions in the world, but, but it all starts for us who declare that we're followers of Jesus. It all starts in this one um, essential, captivating relationship with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but um, I know that I am fully inadequate for a couple things today. One of those is I feel like I'm fully inadequate to preach this sermon today. But secondly, um, I am so inadequate to live this life, to live the life that, that, that Barb was just singing about, talking about not just being a follower of Jesus, but then moving to this place of wanting to be like him. I'm so inadequate. In fact, it's really true that um, trying to walk this life of the optimism of grace that we've been talking about, you know, we talk about it, but then we say, okay, well, that sounds really great, but now we go into this world, and even some of the things we talked about in our prayer time that are hard and difficult, and how do we do that, right? Well, actually, someone has created a way to actually walk the talk of the optimism of grace. Now, when we, when we talk about it, we often are looking for like shortcuts. We're looking for little ways we can just kind of maybe get by with the minimum sometimes to live for Jesus. We can we, we maybe you know, throw in a little uh, memory verse here. We get, we get our little Bible out on our phone. We get our verse a day. I get a verse a day anyway. And we get our verse a day. And we read a little quick little devotional here. We hit church once in a while here. and all, But none of that um, really gets it for us perhaps. But I think I stumbled upon a very simple, easy way to walk this life with Jesus. Maybe you've heard about this. Go ahead and put the slide up. They're called Jesus shoes. Jesus shoes. At the beginning of this month, um, these were rolled out, and these are a real thing. I didn't make this up. I didn't you know, kind of create this slide. This is a real thing. This, this kind of knockoff shoe company took, the, or a company that has a number of knockoffs, took this shoe of this Nike shoe, and this is the Jesus shoe. Um, um, you see the bottom has a little aerosol embedded in that, injected into that is, is holy water from the River Jordan. And you see Matthew chapter 14 on there talking about who? Jesus doing what? Walking on the water. Has a little crucifix on the uh, little cross on the uh, laces there. And, and this is the Jesus shoe. Now here's the good news for you. If you'd like to get this, this price fluctuates, by the way, every day. Um, this is for a size 11. It was only $2,500. If you're, how many size 8s here? And men's size 8s. Any men's size 8s? Nope, that, that's good. That's good. They're $6,000 for the men's size 8. The average retail price, I think, is $1,495. But here's the good news. Once you buy them, you will be like Jesus, and you will walk on water every day of your life. <laughs> right? Jesus shoes. But seriously, I did say that there is a simple way to live into this grace. 
to help us get there, I'd like us to go back to where we began all of this on September 15th when we began this series of messages. And the question, what happens when we actually believe that within us is the image of God? What happens when we look into the mirror and we actually hear God say to us, very good? You see, that is grace. Grace starts not with our view of ourselves, but with God's view of us. And you may remember <clears throat> that, the, that the, the story, the idea behind the, 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 image, the theme image that we have on the banner, Hannah said that the idea that God made us graceful in God's image before we ever sinned really struck me. And then she went on and said, this is where I got the idea of the heart, because the heart is the center of who we are. But, but it's this... But it's this God who, in the making of us, at the heart of who we are, he infused grace toward us at the very start. Captured another way, Glenn Packham says this, God himself made us on purpose and for a purpose and blessed us by calling us good and beautiful. That is our origin story. The truest thing about you is not who you are now or what you have done. The truest thing about you is who God made you to be. So we're going to talk today about that, about who God has made you and me to be. The truest thing about you is who God made you to be. Grace is at the heart of God's creation of mankind. But there's more. This optimism about God's grace working in our lives also rests in the truth that God continues to exercise creative power in the world. Just as an aside, I wonder if that's why we have a continuing expanding universe. But the primary focus of God's ongoing creativity is you. It's me. God said, let there be light. And there was light. At the start of creation, God spoke and he brought order to the primordial chaos that was there. So God speaks and there's light, God speaks and brings order, and God still speaks over our chaos and over our darkness, and he brings order and he brings light to our lives. How does he do that? Well, today I want to welcome you to something. I want to welcome you to your new self. I want to welcome you to your new self. The words we're going to read today are, were written to people who were already believers of Jesus. In fact, this is how they're described in Ephesians 1. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, wouldn't you love for someone to refer to you as that? Maybe they're talking, you know, in a conversation about you, and they say, you know, there, there, there's that guy, that guy's, that guy's faithful. That woman's faithful. She's, she's holy, and she's faithful, and she really shows us Jesus. Well, that's kind of who he's writing to. Now, now, that's important for us to understand this. He's not writing this letter to people 
who have no understanding of Jesus. He's writing to people who have some understanding of Jesus, who are trying to live for Jesus. And that's important because he's writing to people like us and he's giving them awesome news. In verse 21 of chapter 4, it says, if you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And if the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus and Jesus lives within me, then the reality is is that this will be seen in my life. This will start to be seen in my life. It will work its way out of my life. It starts in the center of my heart and it works its way out in my life. It's not about getting saved by what we do. It's about the things we do because we are his. And that begins, to, that begins to change us as we're going to see. Paul goes on now in the New International Version, beginning with verse 22, and says this. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And here it comes. This is amazing. To put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Here's what you're intended to be, what I'm intended to be. We are intended to be created to be like God. You, the person you looked at in the mirror today, frustrations you had this week, the places you thought you failed, the stuff that you just wrestled with that was hard, the depression that seems to grip you on occasion, the brokenness that seems to occurring in your family, the doubts that seem to assail your mind. You, you have all those. I have those. We have those, right? We were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What an amazing truth. Now, these words I just read to you are often misconstrued to be looked at as a demand or a command. And there is some of that instruction in there when it says put off this and put on that. And we're going to see more of that. But this really is not because in this passage of Scripture, the word that is most emphasized, we call it the emphatic position The word that's in the emphatic position, the most emphasized word, is the personal pronoun, you. And so this is not a demand, but it's a personal invitation to these people Paul's writing to, to allow God to create in us new attitudes in our minds. To think differently about who we are and and what our lives are about and who God is and what it means to follow Jesus and how that works out in the world, that God wants to do that. We are invited, this is so cool, we are invited in this passage to allow the creative activity of God and his grace to enable us to put on a new self. Wow. To choose by the power of God's spirit and his grace how we're going to clothe our lives with a new life. A life that reminds the world of God. You heard Barb say that when she was talking about that song, that, that our lives begin to show God. That, and, and Paul says here, we're to be created to be like God. 
Now, we all know that. We cannot do that ourselves. I said at the very start, I am inadequate for this. You are inadequate for this. It requires God's very presence being permitted, giving the, giving, given the place, given the room, given the permission to work in the center of our being, as Hannah put it, about our image. And there we find him making the new self. Think about it again. Think about it. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. A heart that is holy. Now, in this instance, the word holiness here, there's only one other place where it's used, and that's in the Gospel of Luke. In this instance, the word holiness here means devotion. And the word righteousness here isn't that idea of that. What often, when, if I went into the world today and said, what do you think of the word righteousness? They would probably say, I think of those Christians who are always shaking their fingers at us about what we shouldn't be doing. That's what the world might say. But that's not what, it's, that's not what it means. The word actually means aligning ourselves around the will and the way of God. That's what it means here. So we have this devotion and alignment that we see in this passage of Scripture. I think in all of that, we land on a simple way to live into this optimism of faith. Now, I know you thought that the sneakers would do the trick. But that's not the case. If you reach back in our history, you at some point in time, if you really want to understand what we cling to and stand on, you eventually run into a man by the name of John Wesley who rode his horse. Are you ready for this? This, this, makes, this, this is like more painful than riding a bike this much. 250,000 miles. Can you imagine that? Preached something like 30,000, 40,000 sermons in his life. All those things. But John Wesley had a grip on this truth. He said this. Powerful thought. The one perfect good shall be your ultimate end. One design you are to pursue to the end of time. The enjoyment of God in time and eternity. It's a good way to put devotion the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard put it another way. He said the purity of heart is to will one thing. The purity of heart is to will one thing. I think that's what we were singing earlier. When we hear that and we think about our complex world, we say, you know, really, come on. Can it be that simple? Danielle Strickland struggled through that as I just echo what she struggled with, and she said this, I was arguing with myself about it. Couldn't be that simple while realizing that is exactly what it is. Simple. The new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We complicate it so much. But what does this mean? Well, if the purity of heart is to will one thing, and if we are created to be like God in this devotion and this alignment around God and who he is and his law, which Jesus came and said he came to fulfill, 
What is the primary trait? What is the one thing? What is the primary trait of the new self that God creates? The self that's to look like God. Well, that primary trait is love. Again, John Wesley seems to explode with this thought that holiness equals Christ-like love. He, he says this, this is the entire connected system of Christianity. Love enthroned in the heart. These are like so current for us, these words. Love enthroned in the heart. Love then is the great object of Christian zeal, the very image of the invisible God. This is, this is love enthroned. In, this, is the, this is the whole point, he's saying. He goes on and says, and by the way, he, he wrote this in letters, he preached this in sermons, he, he gave this in teaching, and over and over and over. He says this, if you look for anything but more love, you're looking wide of the mark. When you are asking others, have you received this or that blessing? If you mean anything but more love, you mean wrong. You are leading them out of the way. That's really important because sometimes in our world we're, we're looking for how do I get this blessing, how do I do this, or you should do this, you should do this. And, and all Wesley's saying is, you know what, we should be so laser focused on this one thing. He goes on, settle it then in your heart that from the moment God has saved you from all sin, you are to aim at nothing but, but more of that love described in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And then he says this, you can go no higher than this. You can't get better. You can't find something that's going to make it easier for you. You can't, you can't find any. I can't find anything, he's saying, better than this. There's nothing higher than this aim. Not, not knowledge, not having a great theological acumen, not knowing how to parse your religious words, not nothing. But this, you can go no higher than this. Now, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. It's always, it isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. This is what created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness means. It's not the squishy kind of love. You know that squishy kind of love that kind of fails to look at injustices, that weak winks at sin. 
the squishy kind of love that tries to figure out how to fix everyone else but not ourselves. The squishy kind of love that makes it as easy as it possibly can be for ourselves. This is a strong love. This love puts God and others first. This is not a soft love. And sometimes this is a hard love. It is love, as Paul says later in Ephesians, that empowers us to be imitators of God. There we are again. As beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is the, the, the giving oneself up kind of love. Now I said to you at the start that this is very simple, but I didn't say it's easy. But it's simple. It's the giving oneself up kind of love. It's the love that says this. It says, you know what? I am going to become in reality what I say I am. It's the love that says, if I say that I'm a Christian, I'm going to become that reality. If I say that I'm going to seek to be Christ-like, I'm going to become that reality. How great is that? That we can have that kind of relationship with God that we can say, you know what? In the power of His Spirit, by His grace, I'm going to become this person who's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in the power of God's grace, we can become this. We can become this. How? Well, here are some words that are rooted in love. Most people who read these words might read them and go, oh, that's not rooted in love. But listen closely how rooted they are in love. Because Paul goes on right after our passage that we've read earlier in verse 25 of chapter 4, and he says this, therefore, because this is all true, because God wants to make you this way, he wants to create you, to be like him, rooted you know, in this true um, righteousness and holiness. He says, therefore, because that's true, each of you should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For you're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know what that is? That's not a list of things we shouldn't do. That's the operational love of God. The love of God is the operational power that enables us to live a holy life that enables us to actually live what Paul is saying. It enables us, this operational love of God in our life, it enables us to say no to things that displease God. 
It enables us to say no to sin. It enables us to say yes to those things that build us up in him. This operational love of God gives us a hunger and a desire for all of this. It is this invitation today we hear. We hear this invitation to love God and to love like God because of the ongoing activity of a loving God through Christ in our lives. This is like amazing. This isn't just, let's just pray a prayer and get it taken care of and then I can live however I want. This is like saying, God has got grip on me. And I have a grip on him and I am not going to let go. So here's the question. This is the kind of the rubber meets the road question. This is where the soles on the Jesus shoes actually hit the pavement. Is what the Bible is saying here this morning true or not? Because all I've laid out is what the Bible says. Do we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And do we believe that it is our rule for life and faith? If we believe that, then is this true? And if this is true, wow, this is like amazing. This is a life-altering truth. And this invitation is plain, and it is real, and it is pretty simple, and it is really awesome. So I have to ask myself this question. And today when you leave, you're going to have a card to help you process this all week long. And I hope you take it, and I hope you think about it. I hope you read it, both sides. But I have to ask myself, what prevents me from taking advantage of this invitation? What stands in the way of this beautiful new life? What hinders me from the possibilities of this grace? I think we're asking what Paul seemed to be asking. What must I put off from my life to allow God's grace to create something beautiful, righteous and holy in my life? And sometimes the things we need to put off aren't the bad or the evil. The enemy of the best is the good. And sometimes there are good things. They're not evil. They're not bad things. But they may be good things that I cling to more than God. And if I cling to those more than God, then those things need to be put off, perhaps. So what hinders me? You see, this this is the place of a song we sang earlier today. And the song said this. It's a very simple line. I lay me down. I'm not my own. I lay me down. This is the place of full surrender to Jesus. This is the place that says, he's either Lord of my life, he's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. This is the place that says, I am all in Jesus. I'm all in. It's rather simple. It's not going to take those special shoes. I'll tell you what, it'd be a whole lot easier to take a chunk of money out of my savings account and buy those shoes and try to live it that way in some ways. Because this is surrender. It's not going to take special shoes. It's not going to come by your great religious efforts or your good deeds. 
quick Bible verses each day and occasional church attendance will not find this for you. This is the path of self-surrender. But here's the beauty of it. It's self-surrender to God's love. And this is how love is able to fill our lives and create us to be like God and continue to make us like Jesus as we grow in his amazing grace. This is the will of God, to will this one thing. A prayer in the Bible changed my life at this point. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is how Paul prayed. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We were in college, and I was wrestling with this truth that I've tried to preach this morning. And I was wrestling with this passage that I just read to you. I was wrestling with my temper and my frustration, especially towards my dear Kathleen. And I know precisely the day that this happened because it was my wife's birthday. It was, it was January 31st, 1987. That's like a long time ago, right? And we were, we were, um, we were semi-poor Bible college students. And, you know, we were trying to figure out where to go for her birthday dinner. And I just was drawing up blanks, man. And I was thinking, you know, where are we going to go? And, and I was getting really frustrated. But all along, I'd been trying to figure out this life of full devotion to God. So we finally got home from that night. I think I was able to pull off something that was nice. And we got home. And uh, our babysitter was there with her boyfriend, future husband. I guess maybe they were fiancés at the time. And we were sitting, at, him and I were sitting at the table. He was also beginning to become a student. And um, by this time, I'm a junior. You would think by the time I was a junior in Bible college, I'd have this all figured out. But some of us are just really thick. And I was, for sure. I began to talk to him about what I was hungering for. And I began to talk to him about this passage of Scripture and about being filled with God's fullness. And I... And I began to share with him my hunger and my desire for that. And I looked at him and I said this. I said to him, I am going to seek to be filled with God's fullness if it's the last thing I do on earth. And in that moment, something happened. In some way, my determined surrender met his amazing grace. And I have no other language. I have no other way to describe it. It's just what it is. But I'm sitting at this kitchen, my kitchen table with this young man and I'm talking about I am just going to go all in with God no matter what. 
And in that moment, when I said those words to him, that I'm going to seek the fullness of God, if it's the last thing I do here on earth, in that moment, once those words came out of my mouth and my heart in some way had to seem to align with God in a different way, all of a sudden, these waves started washing over me. I could see myself sitting at that kitchen table It was like the love of God was just rolling over me. It it wasn't emotion like this is. It wasn't emotion. It was something deeper. And love was just washing over me. I wasn't loving well. And I never really sensed that I was loved well in life. And all of a sudden, the love of God just washed over me. And from that day on, January 31st, 1987, God has planted in me this devotion, this devotedness, and this desire to be aligned with his will and his way for one reason, and that's love. Now that day, was far from a revival point. That was a starting point. And, and God began to do work, deep work in my life. He began to deal with deep issues in my life that he was not able to do before because I was not in the position to do it until I went, no matter what, I'm going after this with everything I have. It's the last thing I do on this earth. And I confess to you, he's, I'm a work in progress. I'm going to buy one of those big shirts, T-shirt. I'm going to buy a dress shirt that says under construction because I am still such. And he's still working. But I would not be true to myself and to God if I did not say to you that on that day, God filled me with his spirit. In our language, he sanctified me. And he put, he put a love in me that I didn't have before. And as imperfect as it's been, you know that one part of 1 Corinthians 13 in the message, it says, love puts up with anything? Right next to it, Eugene Peterson, when he interpreted, said, Kathleen de France of... She puts up with anything. She put up with me. But I need to say to you that that day and since that day, I've had many instances where I've surrendered more and surrendered more and surrendered more and he's filled more and he's filled more and he's filled more. It's been very imperfect. But I need to tell you I can testify to the fullness of his love within. I can testify to this God working to create, to make me something like Jesus. Oh, it's, there's a long way to go. Long way. But that's my story. I can't come to this passage without that story. 
But here's something really important. Don't try to replicate my story. Don't try to replicate someone else's story. But rather start with this. You will this one thing. Here's a little prayer that I've crafted. Jesus, fill me with your love and create in me a new life that aligns the way I live around you out of a deep devotion for you. My friends, if you pray that with all of your fiber, if you say, I'm going to make that the, will, the one thing I'm going to do in life, everything we've talked about now for eight weeks about the optimism of the grace of God, I promise you, if you pray that with integrity and honesty, God will do a new work in you and you'll discover more and more this new life. I'm still discovering this new life. More newness in this life. Sometimes it feels like five steps backward and three steps forward and all that. But this one thing I know, no one can take from me. I love God with all my heart. And I know he loves me. And out of that, he keeps filling and filling and filling, creating me to be, creating you to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How beautiful is that? Let me ask our worship team, they'd come and ask our pastors to come as we prepare for communion. You see, the table that we have set here today represents the as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us kind of love. Let me say that again. It represents the as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us kind of love. It represents the love God has for us. All of this that I've spoken of today starts not with what you can do, not with what I can do, but what Christ has done, what he desires to do, what he will do in a life that's fully given to him. And that's what makes this so awesome. It is an invitation to more of the love of God. It is an invitation to more of God's love saturating our lives. So everyone here, every one of us, is invited to this table. Everyone who desires the one perfect good that shall be your ultimate end. Everyone who wants the love of Jesus filling one's life and changing one's life. All who want that are invited to the table. So today, wherever you are in this journey, I want to welcome you today. I want to welcome you to your new life. Come to the table and place your faith in the one who makes that new life true and real. The one, the only one, Jesus, who can make us like himself. As you come to the table today, we invite you to come out from the left side of your section and then come to one of the three stations. This morning, gluten-free communion is in the center on the table, in the, in the tray in the center. 
I invite you to stand this morning and I invite you today as an act of faith and surrender. I invite you to the table of the Lord. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread, gave thanks to the Father, and he broke it. And he gave it to his followers. And he said, this is my body given for you. And in saying that, he was saying, I am surrendering myself for you. As we think about that today, let us give thanks to God and let us surrender to his love today. Let us partake. He then took the cup and again he gave thanks to the Father. And he gave the cup to his followers and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant, my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of many. His new covenant, he said, his new covenant was the covenant and the law of love. And it is in the blood that we find life. And what we see is Jesus surrendering his life through his love. And that in the power of his love, he deals with our sin. Praise God. So I invite you today to invite the Spirit of God through your faith in Jesus to cleanse your heart, to cleanse my heart, to cleanse our hearts of anything that gets in the way of this beautiful life he calls us to. As we partake in the cup, let us trust our God to cleanse us from sin. Let us partake together. I'd like you to stand this morning. And I invite you to receive this benediction. Now may we allow our God to create us to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. May we surrender to the love of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And may we be all in with him. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.